As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello, friends. I'm Rick Warren, and welcome to Spurgeon Sermons. This is the official podcast brought to you by Premier and Spurgeon's College. You know, the teachings of Charles Spurgeon have had a personal impact on my life in a profound way, and I'm confident they'll do the same for you. So get ready to be challenged, equipped, and guided by Charles Spurgeon, who is universally regarded as the greatest English preacher in the history of the church. Christ in You, the sermon by Charles Spurgeon, part four. Christ in You, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter one, verse 27. It may sound strange to add that Christ in You transfigures the man till he becomes like Christ himself. You thrust a bar of cold black iron into the fire and keep it there till the fire enters into it. See, the iron is like the fire itself. He that feels it will know no difference. The fire has permeated the iron and made it a fiery mass. I should like to have seen the bush in Horeb before which Moses put off his shoes. When it was all ablaze, it seemed no longer a bush, but a mass of fire a furnace of pure flame. The fire had transfigured the bush. So it is with us when Christ enters into us. He elevates us to a nobler state. Even as Paul writes, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Jesus sanctifies us wholly, spirit, soul and body and takes us to dwell with him in the perfect state above. Christ in you. How can I explain it? We are the little graft, and he is the strong and living stem. We are laid to him, bound to him, sealed to him. And when there is nothing between the new shoot and the old tree, at last the sap flows into the graft, and the graft and the tree are one. Ye know right well how Christ enters into us and becomes our life. Christ in you means power in you. A strong man armed keeps his house till a stronger than he comes, and when the stronger enters, the first tenant is ejected by the power of the newcomer and kept out by the same means. We were without strength till Christ came, and now we war with principalities and powers and win the victory. 
Christ in you. Oh, what bliss, what joy. The bridegroom is with us and we cannot fast. The king is with us and we are glad. When King Charles went to live at Newmarket, it is said that a most poverty-stricken village became a wealthy place. Truly, when Christ comes to dwell in our hearts, our spiritual poverty suddenly turns to blessed wealth. Christ in you, what a wonder it is that he should deign to come under our roof. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. See the honour which his entrance brings with it. He glorifies the place where his foot rests, even for a moment. If Jesus would enter into your heart, his court comes with him. Honour and glory and immortality and heaven and all other divine things follow where he leads. Oh, says one, I wish he would come and dwell in me. Then be humble, for he loves to dwell with those who are humble and of a contrite spirit. Next, be clean, for if they must be clean that bear God's vessels, much more they that have Christ himself in them. Next, be empty, for Christ will not live amid the lumber of self and pride and carnal sufficiency. Learn abundantly to rejoice in Christ, for he who welcomes Christ will have him always for a guest. Jesus never tarries where he is not desired. If his welcome is worn out, away he goes. Oh, desire and delight in him, hunger and thirst after him, for Christ delights to dwell with an eager people, a hungry people a people who value him and cannot be happy without him. Surely I have said enough to make you feel that the sweetness of true godliness lies in having Christ in you. Thirdly, we are to consider that the outlook of all this is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Last Sunday morning, as best I could in my feebleness, I spoke to you about the time when this earthly house of our tabernacle shall be dissolved, when we shall find that we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. But this morning's text goes a little further. It speaks of glory, which is a hope for the soul as well as body. Why glory? Glory? Surely that belongs to God only. To him alone be glory. Yes, but Christ has said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And he also says, And the glory which thou hast given me I have given them. Think of it. Glory for us poor creatures. Glory for you, sister. Glory for me. It seems a strange thing that a sinner should ever have anything to do with glory when he deserves nothing but shame. 
We are neither kings nor princes. What have we to do with glory? Yet glory is to be our dwelling. Glory our light. Glory our crown. Glory our song. The Lord will not be content to give us less than glory. Grace is very sweet. Might we not be content to swim forever in a sea of grace? But no, our Lord will give grace and glory. All needful grace will God bestow and crown that grace with glory too. We shall have glorified bodies, glorious companions, a glorious reward and glorious rest. But how know we that we shall have glory? Why, first, he that has come to live in our hearts and reigns as our heart's Lord makes us glorious by his coming. His rest is glorious. The place of his feet is glorious. He must mean some great thing towards us, or he would never dwell in us. I saw a fine carriage stopping the other day at a very humble hovel, and I thought to myself, that carriage is not stopping there to collect rent or to borrow a broom. Oh, no. That lady yonder is calling round and visiting the poor. And I doubt not. She has taken in some nourishment to an invalid. I hope it was so. And I am sure that my Lord Jesus Christ's carriage never stops at my door to get anything out of me. Whenever he comes... He brings countless blessings with him. Such a one as he is, God over all, blessed forever. It cannot be that he took our nature unless with high designs of love unsearchable. Thus, we nourish large expectations upon the food of solid reason. I am sure our Lord Jesus would never have done so much if he had not meant to manifest the immeasurable breadth and length of a love which is beyond imagining. What he has done already surprises me even to amazement. I think nothing can appear strange or hard to believe. Let him do what he may in the future. If the scriptures tell me my Lord is going to fill me with his own glory and to set me at his own right hand, I can believe it. He who went to the cross for me will never be ashamed of me. He who gave me himself will give me all heaven and more. He that opened his very heart to find blood and water to wash me in. How shall he keep back even his kingdom from me? O sweet Lord Jesus, you are indeed to us the hope the pledge, the guarantee of glory. Friend, do you not feel that Christ in you is the dawn of heaven? Besides this, Christ is he that has entered into covenant with God to bring his people home to glory. He has pledged himself to bring every sheep of his flock safe to his Father's right hand, and he will keep his engagement for he never failed one covenant promise yet. Moreover, this we do know, 
that the Christ who is come to live with us will never be separated from us. If he had not meant to stop, he would not have entered our heart at all. There was nothing to tempt him to come, and if in sovereign grace he deigned to live in the poor cottage of our nature, then, brethren, he knew what he was about. He had counted the cost. He had foreseen all the evil that would be in us and about us. And when he came, he came with the intent to stay. Someone asked the other day, What persuasion are you of? And the answer was, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor things present nor things to come shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you not of that persuasion, brother, sister? If so, you can see how Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is glory. Did we not show that just now? Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. You have heaven in having Christ, for Christ is the biggest part of heaven. Is not Christ the soul of heaven? And having him, you have glory. What is more, having gotten Christ, Christ's glory and your glory are wrapped up together. If Christ were to lose you, it would be a great loss to you, but a greater loss to him. If I can perish with Christ in me, I shall certainly be a fearful loser. But so will he. For where is his honour, where his glory, if a believer perishes? His glory is gone. If one soul that trusts in him is ever cast away. Therefore comfort yourselves with this word. Christ in you means you in glory, as sure as God lives. There is no question about that. Go your ways and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and let people see who it is that lives in you. Let Jesus speak through your mouth, and weep through your eyes, and smile through your face. Let him work with your hands and walk with your feet and be tender with your heart. Let him seek sinners through you. Let him comfort saints through you until the day break and the shadows flee away. Thank you for listening, friends. This podcast was brought to you by Premier in association with Spurgeon's College. For more Christian podcasts, sermons, and music, head back to the website premier.plus and sign in for free.